that's what brought me out of retirement. I said, let's build something that first of all, every time you turn it on, it tells you what your retention is for the last 365 days. Because before that, none of the software packages showed you that. Welcome back to What The Fundraising. I'm your host, Mallory Erickson, and this podcast is for impact leaders and change makers who are looking to fundamentally change the way they lead and fundraise. Today, I'm interviewing Jay Love. Jay is the co-founder and chief relationship officer at Bloomerang. He has served the nonprofit sector spanning four decades. After 11 years as the CEO and co-founder of eTapestry, Jay started Bloomerang specifically to address the donor retention issues we have in the nonprofit sector. But in addition to our talk about donor retention, in this conversation, you'll get insight into Jay's journey in this sector and his up-close look at the evolution of technology and data management. Jay walks us through the evolution of donor data storage from post-it notes and file cabinets to disks and hard drives, and then finally to cloud storage. The history is eye-opening and helpful to understand where we are today, why we see resistance in certain tech adoption areas, and how we can best utilize the incredible tools we have available to us. In this era of digital revolution, data holds so much power and requires a lot of responsibility. Jay talks to us about the most important ways to maintain data hygiene and the right ways to utilize and protect donor data. He also explains why transparency and proper handling of that data are a must in nonprofits to support donor trust and engagement. But don't worry, data hygiene doesn't mean perfect data. And we talk about the difference and the ways in which most donors have grace for nonprofits when there is an error in lifetime giving data or another metric, the opportunities we gain by utilizing our data and personalizing communications far outweigh the issues with small mistakes here and there. And this episode will help you know what to prioritize and why. So let's dive in so you can meet Jay. Welcome, everyone. I am so excited to be joined today by Jay Love. Jay, welcome to What the Fundraising. Hey, great to be here. So you have one of the most incredible journeys and histories in the nonprofit sector. And so I'm really excited to just start with you sharing that with everyone and telling everyone what brings you to our conversation today. It all started uh, 40 years ago, almost exactly. And in 1982, I got involved with the very first PC-based program for managing donor data and communicating with donors and making all that happen, a product called Fundmaster. And since that time, I've been involved with three or four different data management companies, several communication companies, a couple managing and measuring outcomes for that. So it's been this incredible journey from 1982 to 2022 that spans four decades. So it's been great. Wow. And you've seen a lot in that time. What is some of the things that are exciting you the most about where nonprofit technology is today? Well, just like technology in general, 
the fact that we communicate in all of these different manners. It's no longer just the telephone and a direct mail letter. We've got all of these other ways, and that has opened up even more ways for donors to give. But more importantly, the world is at their fingertips to find out about the nonprofits they want to get involved with, the impact that those nonprofits are having. There's no reason now that a donor cannot be so much more aware of not only the nonprofit and its mission, but the various projects that they can support and the projects that would be near and dear to their heart or to their family foundation or whatever the case may be. The fact the donor advice funds have made such a big difference now that has brought hundreds of millions of dollars into play for the nonprofit world. So we have the ability to support in such a more meaningful way so many of the nonprofits and their missions. Yeah, I love that. And I'm curious, as those additional touch points are on the rise and nonprofit leaders, I think, find themselves both excited about all of the opportunity and sometimes overwhelmed with which tools to use and which direction to go. How do you help folks think about sort of cutting through the noise or identifying how they make the right tech decision for them? I always tell the story. If you were going to open up a new pizza restaurant in your town, I would hope you would go try the other pizza restaurants in that town before you do. So few people, before they begin their career in the nonprofit space or get involved in fundraising for the first time, they haven't participated as a donor or as a volunteer. And I think the most important thing is to spread your wings a little bit and try different things. And then if you're getting ready to do your first annual appeal or your first Giving Tuesday or your first Giving Day or your first special event, gosh, go try 10 or 15 of those with other nonprofits and just say, what really makes me feel good? What leaves me puzzled? What is the best way to do that? So I think you can get your own master's degree, your own MBA in fundraising just by participating yourself. At Bloomerang, we, for years, we would do these five and $10 experiments where we would donate to 50 or 60 nonprofits and just see how they would respond. And it was all based upon just $5 donations. So for less than what you could go out for a nice meal, particularly in your neck of the woods in the Bay Area there, or where I'm at now, now in Naples, Florida, you can conduct an entire set of experiments to see what you like and dislike. And more importantly, if you see what some of the really well-established national nonprofits do, no one's going to get upset if you copy what they're doing just a little bit. That is such good advice. And I've actually been doing that more and more where I've been giving some donations to different programs that I think are interesting or monthly giving programs, because I'm really curious what's behind that sort of membership and the ways that they're cultivating and engaging folks. I think that's such good advice to invite people to put on the donor lens for a second before you put yourself in the seat of the person who's going to move through that experience. So I love that advice. And technology used to be a real barrier for nonprofits because back in the days I started, we were shipping out diskettes and people had to figure out how much memory was on their machine and how much storage and they had to load the diskettes. And so as a technology vendor, I remember at one point in time, we were supporting like 40 versions of the software out there. So the first 10 minutes of any customer support call was what version, what machine you're running on and this and that. And today it is just easy to do because everybody's doing things over the internet. Everybody's on the same version. The support and stuff is so easy. So the programs themselves have become so much more intuitive. I remember when I demanded for my programmers, I said, 
let's make our program be available in color. And they looked at me like I had four eyes. I said, everybody just has black and white screens or green phosphor screens. Why would you want it to be color? Because I said, we could highlight what's important for people to do that. And then I remember when I pulled a couple developers aside and I said, we're tired of supporting all these versions. The internet, I think, is going to be here to stay. Can we figure out a way that people could log on and keep their data on the internet? And executive directors and people, because we had the first internet-based program with a product called eTapestry all the way back in 1999. And people looked at us and said, we're going to put our donor data out on the internet. And these were the same people that hadn't backup of their data in three years. And and they hadn't taken a backup and restored it to see if it was still working 10 years ago. I used to many of our customers together when it was much easier to get people together. We were running a user group meeting in Chicago and I had about a hundred customers in the room. And I asked how many people had backed up their data in the last 24 hours. I got four hands, little league, choir practice, you know, et cetera. How many of you backed up your data in the last week? One more hand went up. And then I said, how many people have backed up their data in the last month? And I got a couple more hands. I said, how many of you have ever backed up your data? And I got maybe 25% of the room. And the killer question was, how many of you have ever restored your data from a backup to see if you've got any backups that are actually worthwhile? And one hand went up and she was so darn proud. I knew even though it was going to take a while that internet-based programs were going to dominate the entire landscape. Of course, it took COVID to really make it happen, but there were all sorts of other reasons why it would happen too. People finally realized just how valuable not only the donor giving records were, but all of the notes about what this person's goals and aspirations were for your projects and stuff. We finally have a way now that we can capture that and easily access it. Even if you're in your car getting ready to meet someone at a lunch spot, you can now go back and say, this is what we've talked about in our last five conversations and actually appear like you really care about what they're wanting to do with their money. I love you sharing that journey also because I know something that Bloomerang cares a lot about, of course, is data hygiene. And you guys do so much work on making sure that nonprofits have the cleanest data possible. And I deal with a lot in my work helping nonprofit leaders overcome perfectionism. And so there's this really interesting intersection when we talk about data hygiene, which is what is clean enough? And you sharing that 50-year journey. Don't make me appear too old, Mallory. 40-year journey. 40-year, 40-year journey. But I was thinking about the nonprofits that I work with that are 50 years old who have gone from those handwritten notes to the records that you described to finally being on internet databases. And sometimes these folks have donors in their system who have been giving for 50 years. Their data doesn't obviously reflect every piece of information that we're collecting today that we can have today. And sometimes I think it holds fundraisers back because they're like, oh, my data's imperfect. How do you help folks think about how to navigate that and prioritize data hygiene, of course, but also be comfortable taking action when there are gaps in the data because this has been so different for so long? They do have to care about it. And that means just making sure there's basic procedures in place. But make sure that they choose their partners very wisely, too. When you say data hygiene, one of the things that I remember doing, and it seems like just yesterday, you used to have to pay your database vendor to do the U.S. Postal Service updates, the change of addresses. 
And we would always recommend people that they would run the change of address process three or four times a year, particularly before they were going to do big direct mail drops to do that. And we had a, a partner that we were working with in Chicago that was doing all these address updates. And we were at the time, maybe 10,000 customers or something of that nature. And I said, we've only got about 20% of our customers that care enough to run the address updates. I asked this vendor, what would it take if I just bought it for all 10,000 customers and all millions and millions and millions of names? And we ran it every night. So if they put a new donor in, or if a donor moved and the change of address form came through the US Postal Service, we would update it between midnight and four in the morning every night. We would just run it. And I remember talking over with my executive team and I said, let's do it for everybody and just build it into our price. And they said, well, you're crazy. We've been getting these. I said, yeah, but just think of the effect we'll have on their fundraising. All of their direct mail appeals are going to land in somebody's mailbox. Sometimes if you pick the right partner, they help you with the data hygiene. And that was something that we did and we just never looked back on. I think other vendors eventually followed in doing that, but it made such a huge difference for that to see. And then I think just other things that the software builds in and does, just making sure that not only are the backups done, but other hygienic things are in place on a regular basis. So if people opt out of your email list, it actually marks the record that they're opted out. Believe it or not, there are some nonprofits if you opt out it doesn't take effect for a while. And I always feel bad when that's not the case. I appreciate you sharing that. I'm well, curious. it's the, it's the nerd, it's the nerd in me coming. Here, sorry. <laughs> no, it's, it's really good to know. And, you know, I think that there are these terms like data hygiene thrown out and a lot of nonprofits are like, what does that mean? What does it mean to have good data hygiene practices. I don't know if you want to share a few other sort of tips or recommendations you would make for folks as they're thinking about that. I'm sure it would be really meaningful to them. The key thing is, as they're putting their information in, that define what fields you're going to use and you use the same field for the same information. Time and time again, when we help people convert their data to go onto our database, they've used this particular field for this purpose for two years. And then that person changed over and someone else started putting that information in a different field. And the key thing is, is making sure, and there's really no other way around it that the executive director or the CEO, if it's a big enough organization, someone that's in charge of operations needs to really know enough to be dangerous about that. You can just tell the difference when someone at the top or someone on the executive team knows and enforces those day-to-day guidelines that things will stay correct in that manner for it. And it's when It's left to people just doing like they think fit that all of a sudden you get erroneous information because the last 10 years of my career, I started making a lot more donations. My wife and I support a lot of organizations. And as we became major donors, I would always say one of the things that I really appreciate if I've been involved with a nonprofit for, say, 10 years is when they send my thank you letter, they tell me what my lifetime giving is. And when I say that in a conference setting, I can just see some people going, Oh my gosh, I would never, I would never trust our system enough to do that. Oh, I might tell them something wrong. But you know what? I encourage all of the nonprofits to still do that because if you're wrong, most 99% of the donors are just going to tell you, well, you missed one and here it is. And let's get it cleaned up and get on the right page. And it makes you seem human too. I don't expect every nonprofit to be absolutely perfect. I mean, more of the funds are going to the mission than there are the systems. So that's where it's all about. So 
Mm-hmm. I love that. And I think also a lot of donors aren't even going to know their lifetime value and sharing the impact that they've made over a long period of time is so much more important than the few records or the few missed things that might be in the system that, as you said, people are typically incredibly gracious to correct so that it's updated in the system and you end up reminding a lot more people of how generous they've been to your organization over a long haul. And so I think the benefit to using lifetime value is just so much greater. Right. And then another hygiene, probably six years ago, my wife and I started a donor advice fund. And of course, I geeked out a little bit on it when we opened it up and I found out in it was either September or October, I had this dashboard and we support 17 or 18 nonprofits on a regular basis. So I thought I went into the dashboard and we sold a bunch of appreciated stock and it went into the donor advice fund and all. And I said, wow, I've got more funds here than I've ever thought about donating before. So I made all 17 or 18 gifts in early October and for my donor advice fund. I thought, well, this is great. Until and and only two, and I won't will keep them totally nameless. I get one call in early December, and the executive director goes, Jay, we did our appeal about a month ago, and you and Christy have always been loyal donors. Are you going to make a gift this year? And I said, I did. You might check and see if it's under Charles Schwab. <laughs> and sure enough, it was. And then there was another executive director or fundraiser that called me panic between the holidays at the very end of the year, want to know if we were going to make a gift this year. And I said, I did back first week of October. And they did a little searching. And of course, it came in as a check from the Jay and Christy Love, Charles Schwab donor advice fund. And they had totally misappropriated it in the system and didn't give us credit for it till then. Then I asked them, I said, now, have you marked anywhere in the system that I've got a donor advice fund? Because that should be like the biggest red flag going up saying, these folks are going to be major donors for the next several years. And maybe we ought to classify them in that manner, or maybe we ought to put them on a different track on how we're communicating or something for that. So just little things that have happened recently that I can just say with the right systems and the right technology, it just becomes so much easier to raise major gifts and to move people from special event attendees into annual fund donors into major gift donors as they progress up the pyramid. I really appreciate you sharing that story with us. And I'm curious, you've seen a lot across this sector and we're seeing a lot, I think, of positive trends, like you said, because of COVID accelerated it in terms of technology adoption. Do you have any fears or concerns around the nonprofit sector that you are sort of watching certain trends and hoping that we'll be able to course correct around? The one fear I've always had in the back of my mind is some commercial entity thinking that the donor data is not extremely confidential, that someone would try to use that for some other purpose. Thankfully, we've not seen any of that whatsoever, but I think every vendor that's in this space that's handling technology in some form or another where there's donor information, whether it's the names, the dollar amounts, the credit card numbers, et cetera, is just treating that with such, such error. There have been a few breaches that have occurred in this sector. I know they were accidental breaches where someone hacked into it, but I would think that those types of protections are very, very important because although those small nonprofits, as I said from my user group story, didn't used to take care of the donor data very well themselves, they should count on the vendors that they're paying on an annual basis to treat that with the highest levels of security that they could possibly do. Yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up. 
Is there anything else that you want to share with folks about you moving from eTapestry to then founding Bloomerang? And folks love Bloomerang so much. I mean, well, thank you. (laughs) You have some very, very happy customers. What were your hopes and dreams in starting this platform and really designing it the way that you did? This will tie into one of the talks I saw on your website. I was all set to just retire, and the folks at the AFP organization asked me to help host a technology conference that they were holding, and they only held one of those conferences. It's a shame they didn't do it further down the road. But one of the keynote speakers was now a very good friend of mine, Dr. Adrian Sargent. I helped introduce Adrian, and then I was sitting back in the back of the room, And he was talking about donor retention. He said the average commercial business has 90% customer retention and the average nonprofit has 40 to 45% donor retention. I thought this can't be possible. Uh, And so I dug into it and how people go up and talk to the speakers afterwards. I made sure I was the very last person in line. And I said, Adrian, you don't know me very well, but I said, if we can figure out a way that the technology tools can help a nonprofit improve their retention one or 2% every year, it could totally change the sector. What's fun is I've watched many of our customers go from 45% donor retention to 55 to 65. We have several now that are in the 70s and 80s. It is so, so neat because I know they have funded their mission far into the future and they've guaranteed the success of that nonprofit by just doing the right principles. So we tried to, that's what brought me out of retirement. I said, let's build something that first of all, Every time you turn it on, it tells you what your retention is for the last 365 days. Because before that, none of the software packages showed you that. And then I said, let's start offering up hints and ideas and best practices of how you can move that percentage up. How hard is it to tell the person using the system that you've entered gifts and it's been 48 hours without a thank you going out? Or you haven't had three or four touch points in the first 90 days for a brand new donor. So, you know, like one of Adrian's cardinal rules, if you're a brand new donor, there should be three touch points in the first 90 days. Well, I just don't think a lot of nonprofits were doing that. They were going to wait a year and just send another appeal letter. And so by setting up those processes, I really think we had a step in helping to revolutionize a lot of fundraising best practices and bring them to the table for people. So that's been the most rewarding thing for me. And to this day, I, I love the emails and the notes and stuff saying, we just hit 50% or we just hit 60% in donor retention. And I'm going, yeah, they did it. It's, <laughs> it's great. I think that's the real story behind Boomerang was that we wanted to have an impact in that manner. And I believe that we're continuing to do that. So we will see if we can keep that up for trend going. Mm, I love that. And there's so much around donor retention. There's so much opportunity, I believe, around donor retention. And the technology has this incredible moment to be prompting fundraisers and reminding them to be doing using some of these best practices. I interviewed this woman a few months ago who's a motivational scientist, and she talks about how our motivation around any action, we're highly motivated at the beginning and we're motivated at the end, but in the middle, motivation wanes. It's called the middle problem. And I was sitting there and I was like, oh my gosh, retention. That, that happens. That happens with that happens with our bodies sometimes too, right? The, the <laughs> with <middle> everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> with everything. But I was like, oh my gosh, I think cultivation stewardship retention is a middle problem. We got that first gift. 
It's not the next campaign. We're in this moment where motivation wanes in our interaction with the donor. And so, okay, what do we do when motivation wanes? And in habit and behavior design, we think about how can you make the action easier to do and how can you be prompted around taking the action? And so what you're talking about is the system really doing that, which I love. So I'm really glad that we got to end on that note. I'm so grateful for your time and sharing all of your your wisdom with everyone and sharing about your history in this sector too. Thank you. You're welcome. And if I can ever be of help again, just let me know. I'd be glad to join you again anytime. Okay, I loved this conversation and it really gave me a new appreciation for the development of technology in the nonprofit sector in the last few years. Here are some of my top takeaways from this conversation. Number one, pick the right partner for your nonprofit's data management to maintain proper data hygiene at your organization. Simple things like properly marking in your system when a person unsubscribes from your email list matter a lot in building and maintaining relationships. Number two, when you're putting information into your database, make sure you have clearly defined what fields map with what information and keep it that way. You need to be using the same fields for the same information time and time again. This might sound simple, but this is a place a lot of organizations get it wrong. And I think I was one of those executive directors. Number three, there's a lot of low-hanging fruit when it comes to increasing donor retention and technology makes this so much easier with automation, easy personalization, and other donor data tracking. Number four, there should be three touch points in the first 90 days after a new donor gives to your nonprofit. These can be automated and leverage peak moments. So start to think about this in your donor journey. And lastly, I love Jay's recommendation to experiment by donating to different nonprofits and seeing how they respond. We can learn a lot from moving through each other's donor journeys. Okay, there are so many more takeaways and tips inside this episode, so head on over to MalloryErickson.com backslash podcast to grab the full show notes and resources now. You'll also find more information there about Jay and Bloomerang. Thank you for spending this time with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love it if you would give it a rating and review and share it with a friend. I am so grateful for all of my listeners and the good hard work you're doing to make our world a better place. And if you miss me between episodes, stop by and say hello on Instagram under what the fundraising underscore. Have a great day and I'll see you tomorrow for our next episode of the people behind the products.